No matter the year, not of the year, listen in it. No matter the place, not of the place, listen in it. No matter the time, not of the time, listen in it. This is dedicated to the hip hop dreamers. It is April 7, 2016. My name is Joel Tillis. And you have tuned in to the Soul Trap. We always consider it an honor to be able to come to you and share our thoughts and opinions with you, and we appreciate you tuning in, taking the time to listen, and many of you touching base with us, many of you sharing the Soul Trap. We appreciate it, and we thank you so very much. We hope and pray that this broadcast finds you in good spirits and uh, finds you most of all, most importantly, on that good and narrow way. Admittedly, today's podcast is going to be a rough one. I know that. I go into this assuming already that I'm going to get some negative feedback. Um, Some of you might even uh, adamantly disagree with what I'm going to say. But part of the soul trap has always been for me to share what I believe is true and what I believe is from my heart. And uh, sometimes uh, those things have to be said. And I think issues and subjects have to be broached even though they're difficult ones. I intend to speak today frankly and scripturally about the race issues that are facing our nation. Now, you might ask why. Well, the answer is I I think and I believe that there is both a political and an even more importantly, a spiritual issue at stake. I believe one of the undercurrents in our modern culture is the torrential stirring of hate and ignorance that is being fostered by those who are either unwilling to face facts or who are ignorant of the facts and are allowing the powers that be to usher in a catastrophe, a division, a divided kingdom, which will allow really a new world order to rise up from the ashes of what is being burned down right now. There is a naive middle class when it comes to white America. And I believe a deceived lower class, especially in inner city among black Americans. And both of them are being pitted, the one against another. And the final solution is not the elevation of one race above another, but I believe the enslavement of both. Now, when you talk about race, that... That means normally that I have to go to great lengths before I can even begin to discuss it. But I have to go to great lengths by example and endless prefacing to convince you that I am not a racist. You see, because I am white, I don't get the immediate key that unlocks the door for me to be able to discuss this situation. At least that's not the way it is in modern times. I can only discuss the situation and then even lightly... Then, even then, I have to walk on eggshells, but only after I exhaust a lot of time and energy prefacing and proving to you that I am not a racist. Then and only then am I allowed to speak, and even then, just limited ways. But I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite. The truth of the matter is, I don't have to expend one amount, uh, one ounce of my energy convincing you that I am or am not a racist. The truth of the matter is, I don't owe you or anyone else an explanation of the way that I feel about anyone or anything personally. By definition, I am a free man. And by that definition of being a free man, I have the right to think and feel the way that I want to think 
and feel. And if that means that I don't like someone because of the color of their skin or nationality or their pedigree, if I don't like the way that they part their hair or the car they drive, if I don't like uh, rednecks or if I don't like Asians or if I don't like black people or white people, if I am so stupid as to hate an entire group of people simply because of their color skin, fundamentally, ladies and gentlemen, that is my right. And those opinions and feelings are between me and God. Of course, I will stand before God as a believer and be judged for my conformity to the law of the gospel and the scriptures. Of course, I will have to answer to the natural laws of God and how that he has established in society and life laws that punish the parentally stupid and ignorant. Sure, I get that, but I don't have to answer to you for how I feel personally, for what I think or what I believe. And even more to the point, I don't have to justify myself because you or other groups feel uncomfortable with facts that I bring to light. Now, if my personal feelings hinder others in the common market, in other words, if my feelings and thoughts when translated into actions hurt or hinder other personal freedoms of others, well, then there is an issue that has to be dealt with in a free and open republic. There is a boundary to the way that I think and feel. There is. I don't get to yell fire in a crowded movie theater because I feel like it. There is a boundary. I'm allowed to think and feel any way I want, but in a free and open republic, that thinking and feeling, once it is translated into action, must accommodate the liberties of others around me. In other words, there is a give and take built into our system and way of life that preserves my right to think and to feel the way that I want to while preserving the other man's right to think and feel the way that he wants to. And quite frankly, it's a beautiful thing when it works. Another reason I'm not going to go out of my way to tell you about how many black friends that I have or how many black authors I've read or all the normal white guilt gibberish blah 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 that the average white commentator has to make before he begins to discuss race. The reason I'm not going to do that is simply because in this country and in the eyes of God, a man is considered innocent until proven guilty. At least he's supposed to be. Except, it seems, when it comes to racial issues in America. The fact is, if you're white, you're a racist. Oh, no, I'm not. Are you white? Yes, then you're a racist. If you're not now a racist, it's only because you have overcome racist tendencies. And usually the only way to overcome racist tendencies is four to six to eight years in government education by which you have been brainwashed that you are inherently racist, but thankfully we have corrected the error of your way. Nothing that you say and nothing that you do can ever truly remove the presumed guilt of racism from you. However, you can, in guilt and abdication and penance, spend the rest of your life trying to make up for actions that your forefathers did, which may or may not be accurately represented in our history books, and which you had nothing whatsoever to do with. Still, you are white. Therefore, ipso facto, you are a racist pig. On the other side of the coin, black people, Hispanic people... Brown, quote-unquote, brown people, well, we, we cannot be racist in any stretch of the imagination. Now, 
the verdict is out on Asians. Maybe they're racist, maybe they're not. We're still trying to figure that whole thing out. But that is another podcast for another time. The fact of the matter is, in America, when it comes to racial issues, if you're white, you are presumed guilty until you prove your innocence, and even then, you cannot prove your innocence enough. Well, here's the thing. I don't owe you a justification for being white any more than you owe me a justification for being black any more than somebody owes us a justification for being Asian or Hispanic or Guatemalan or anything else you want to throw in there. If you don't want me to rush to a conclusion that baggy pants automatically means that the guy's a gangster, how about the same courtesy being extended to me and not assuming because I am white and state certain obvious facts about the tragedy facing the black community, that does not necessarily mean that I'm racist. It could mean, on the contrary, that I actually do care about people. I do care enough to actually be willing to be misunderstood. I do care enough to actually be willing to be mocked or to be shunned or to be a pariah of the new world society that is being erected around us. In fact, stating the truth could actually mean that I do actually care for black people. How about we not rush to conclusions? Truth is truth. And even though it might hurt our sensibilities and our notions of how things are supposed to be, even though it might touch some of the deepest psychological upbringings and baggages that we all carry, just because somebody speaks the truth, it is not enough to dismiss them as racist. The issue is, is what they said true? Or is it at least true enough to stop and think about certain points and positions from which they are coming? Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake, whether you realize it or not, there is a soft war taking place right now, a quiet insurrection. The powers that be are pitting the black man against the white man, and out of the racial and economical and social chaos, it is the power elite that will pick up the shattered pieces and remold a new world order over the ruins of the once great and free republic. And this elite class will stand upon the bones of white and black men together. And if we do not find a common ground in life, I assure you that the white and the black man will find a common ground in the graves of a once great republic. So my podcast today, though it will seem controversial, is an attempt to state truth to whomever may hear it. And as Keats once said, truth is beauty, and beauty is truth. So allow me to make a few statements, a few points that I feel need to be made. And again, these are not, so to say, pragmatic statements. They're not fixing statements. They're simply observations and statements that I believe need to be heard. Number one, racism is a joke. The word racism is a catch-all word that is being used with very little understanding of what the word actually even means and less understanding of the true ramifications. The term racism is a joke. The, the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, very few people, very few average people on planet Earth hate entire races of people. Very few, in general, hate an entire race 
and seek their destruction or enslavement. Probably the closest thing that you get to true, pure racism is in your peace-loving Muslim nations, right? They hate all Jews. They want all Jews dead. Why? Because they're Jews, period. But you find that hard-pressed. Very rarely would you find an entire or a large body of Africans that hate all Europeans or all Europeans that hate all Asiatic people. It's just sort of one of those things that we throw out and we say, well, that person's racist. What you're saying is that person hates all people of that race, and it's just not true. And you may find larger pockets of that around the world, but I'm here to tell you, in the United States of America in 2016, you would be hard-pressed to find one out of a million white people who hate the entire black race. I'm sorry. You say, well, you're just saying that because you're white. Not really. I mean, if there were more racist people, how come we don't see them protesting in the streets? If there were more racist people, why don't we see the numbers of the Ku Klux Klan and white supremacists and all these? Why don't we see their numbers swelling? In fact, we see the exact opposite. Uh, biracial marriages are higher than they have ever been. Interracial uh, balance is higher than it has ever been. In case you hadn't figured it out, a large group of people voted for a black president. I mean, a large, not a couple thousand, not tens of thousands, not hundreds of thousands, but millions and millions of people. If there was a large group of, of white racists in America, what better way to express pure, unadulterated racism and yet maintain the safety of anonymity than being able to vote against Barack Hussein Obama. Nobody would know how you voted. You could vote any way you want. And if you hate black people, well, how come 30, 40, 50 million people didn't say, no, nah, we don't want him to be president? There's a lot of white people that voted for him. A lot of white people. How come we don't see a large group of uprising of military men saying, I'm not going to serve under a black uh, uh, commander-in-chief? Well, why don't we see that? Well, the fact of the matter is, is because racism is not rampant in the United States of America. Is there prejudice? Yeah, I'll give that to you. Is there stereotype across the races? Absolutely, I'll give that to you. Is there racial hatred epidemically sweeping across the nation? No, that's bullcrap. That's exactly what that is. Racism is a word that has sufficient weight so as to really shut down any logical discussion and any honest conviction of personal and cultural sins. In other words, let, let me be real frank here. The least racist place on the face of planet Earth today is the United States of America, and that, friends, is a fact. Show me another nation that has shed blood over slavery. Please, do! Show it to me. Go, go be a black person in Saudi Arabia. Tell me how things are going for you there. Go, go be a black person somewhere on the face of this earth. Go try to be white in Somalia. It's not really, really healthy for you there if you're white. Not really healthy for you if you're black to live in Yemen. I mean, there may be individual cases of hatred of others. Sure, because the heart of man is sinful. And man always has his sin and corruption. 
So there are individual cases of, of, of hatred because of their skin color or culture. But the truth of the matter is, in modern day 2016 United States of America, that is few and far between. The black man in America today has more rights, more freedoms, more opportunity than anywhere else on planet Earth. And I hate to break it to you, but, but that is the case in no small order and in no small part to the sacrifice of white people. White people who have died for slaves' freedoms. White people who have marched alongside Martin Luther King and others. White political leaders who took unpopular stands to pass civil rights bills. White preachers and religious leaders who broke with tradition and broke with their denomination and broke with the popular uprising and stood for the freedoms of other black people. Where is that rampant racism that we're being led to believe is out there today? What's more, there's not a black man alive today who has any more of an idea what it means to be a slave than a white man. Zero. You say, well, I have, I have uh, slavery in my heritage because I'm black. Well, look, I'm Lebanese. I've got slavery in my heritage. You say, well, I've got slavery in my heritage because I'm black. Well, join the human race. Is there not any group of people anywhere that has not suffered injustice, indignities, slaveries, hardships? I get it, okay? It's a part of the black culture and heritage. I get it. I try to get it. I read about it. I study it. In many ways, I cherish some of the great rich history and Christianity that has come out of there. But let's just be honest and call things what we need to call them today. There's not a black man alive today that has any sense or relation or context of slavery. A black man today can't imagine what it's like to be a slave any more than I can. Any more than I can. All people groups have had injustices. All people, groups, and races have faced hardships, and, and races of people and groups have had instances in their history of suffering and hardship. Look, at slavery is not the exclusive pastime of the black man. It's just not. And a young man who graduates high school today, two young men, one, both of them are 18 years old, and one is black and one is white, tell me exactly who is going to have a better grasp on what it means to be a slave. The answer, neither one. Now, one has maybe slavery a little closer in their heritage. One might be able to look at great-grandfather and even great-grandfather, maybe even grandpa, and say, you know where there's some, there were some trials and struggles, but that 18-year-old today, he, he has no concept of his own. He has access to the same colleges, if not more. He has access to the same technology, the same food, the same shelter, the same clothing, the same environment, the same government. Look, are there lingering issues of, of America's past? Sure, I'll give you some of that. Are, are there some institutional issues with regard to race in the prisons? Yes, I'll give you that. In fact, I believe we're facing horrible issues when it comes to the war on drugs and the privatization of our jails. I believe there is a, an epidemic in that area that has more to do with class but that is not fundamentally a racial issue. I believe it is an elite power issue that many, many, mind you, white people would stand shoulder to shoulder with the black people when it comes to those issues of privatization, of legalizing marijuana, uh, of the over-intrusion of the police into a militant sort of, a, uh, a sort of an environment. I agree with all of that. The reality is there's a lot of common ground that I have with Black Lives Matter groups when it comes to the militarization of our police. 
Look, if a police does something wrong, I'm the first one to stand. I mean, if you don't believe me, check some of the podcasts. I despise, I detest, I repudiate a civil power that operates in our midst as some sort of a, a, a ipso facto army. I reject that outright. But the only epidemic of true racism, ladies and gentlemen, is not in black and white communities. It's in our media. It's in our politicians. It's in our pop culture and in the movies feeding the mushy minds of our younger generation. The average black man and the average white man can get along just fine if you leave them alone and let them mow their lawns together. Let them shop at the same Publix and go to the same Walmart and sit at the same ball game. And if they want to hang out together, fine. If they don't, fine. But, but leave us alone and let men be men among men. Racism is an epidemic problem. is a joke. And secondly, black Americans on the whole are nurtured, trained, and encouraged to be allowed to be far more racist than white Americans. You say, oh, we've got racism in America. Well, if I am going to agree with you, I would agree with you and say that it's black racism towards white people. I mean, if there is a large body of American populace that is racist, I mean outright racist and stereotypical and prejudiced, not in the corners and shadows of their homes, but on the main street, on TV, in the government, it's the black culture. I mean, when's the last time you saw a white comic making fun of a black man, black culture, black anything? When's the last time you saw that? When is the last time you found a black man being fired from his job because he made some sort of a racial joke? When's the last time you've seen a movement called White Lives Matter? When's the last time you saw a white singing artist call for a black female political leader to be gang raped? Could you imagine if that happened? Could you imagine if Katy Perry or Adele or, you know, uh, Lady Gaga or any of the rest of them, could you imagine if one of them said, you know what, Louis Farrakhan's wife ought to be gang raped? You, you, you know what, uh, 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 um, what's his name, Sharpton, his wife ought to, his wife ought to be gang raped. You, you know what, the president's daughters, they ought to be gang raped. How come it's okay for the black artist to be able to say that Sarah Palin ought to be gang raped? Exactly in what bizarre world is that acceptable? Know what I'm saying? I'm saying there's a double standard trained, enforced, and encouraged into the minds of young black Americans. And counterwise to that, young white Americans are told they are racist even though they are not. They are made to feel guilty, made to feel ashamed. All the while, young black men are told that the reason they are in jail and not prospering could not possibly have anything to do with their own choices or the glorification of sexual and violent and fatherless homes. No, 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 no. It's because they're being held down by the white man. And you tell me who the racist is. Now, this is my third point, and here's where you're going to have to be a grown-up, because what I'm about to say right here is going to hit some of you right in the privates. But the truth of the matter is that what I'm about to say is historically and factually true. On the whole, ladies and gentlemen... On the whole, white, Anglo-Saxon, Norman, Norman, European white males have done more for black men in America today than, than black man has done for black men in America. The white man has done more for the black man than any other race on the face of this earth. Has the white man been guilty of racism in America in the past? Yes. 
Are there white people today that for whatever reason, skin color, prejudice, stereotype, don't like black people? Yes. Has the white man through government and religious and social reform done more for the black man here in America than anywhere else on the face of this earth? Also, yes. Okay. We, we all know about colonialism. We all get imperialism and slavery. But let's not forget a couple of facts here that need, we need to be reminded of. More white missionaries and mission agencies have reached the African people groups than any other people in history. Ladies and gentlemen, it was white people who had a burden to stop slavery in America. It was not slavery being ended because of a, a, a black uprising. It was white people, the abolitionists, that underground railroad, the willingness to suffer and bleed on the fields of America. Where did that come from? From white Christian males. How has Africa been reached? You say, well, what about apartheid? Okay, but what about all the mission agencies? Were they perfect? No. But mission agencies have gone around the world reaching people with the gospel. What about England and America? The fight for equality was spearheaded and led by Christian conviction in white nations. Slavery is not an American anomaly. Slavery has been on the continent of Africa for thousands of years in and among themselves. Even, even a modern example, for instance, Mandela. I, I dare say that the average young black man has not read 45 seconds worth of the life history of Mandela. I have. Because I'm interested in truth, not emotion. Mandela was freed. And he became what he was as a symbol of that nation's freedom due almost exclusively in part to white English and American people who were petitioning and longing and rioting and having civil disobedience. This thing has not taken place in a vacuum, ladies and gentlemen. And look at the inner cities in America right now. From Catholic to Baptist, from Anglican to Methodist, there is a huge number of white people concerned for and dedicated to the continued help and support of the inner city black youth. What I'm saying is, and this might offend your sensibility, and it only goes to prove that you've been ingrained in the media and in the hogwash that we have been ingrained in, but what I'm saying is that white people in 2016 have absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, we have a lot to be proud of. A lot. You say, well, yeah, your forefathers enslaved black people. Yeah, my forefathers also liberated them. Well, yeah, your forefathers, you know, they made them drink from different water fountains. Yeah, my forefathers also passed laws of civil, uh, uh, civil rights and, and marched along with them. I mean, let's be honest. It amazes me. It, even today, it amazes me to see people wearing, and I, look, you do what you want, but it amazes me the same way when I see Hispanics wearing Che Guevara shirts. It amazes me to see black people wearing African-colored garb and symbols and everything. Do you know who kills more Africans? Not Englishmen, not Frenchmen, not Germans, not Belgians, certainly not Americans. Africans kill more Africans, and it has always been that way, even when there were imperial and colonial uh, uh, commonwealths over there. Africans kill more Africans than any other race on the face of this earth. Do you know who kills more black people in America today? I hate to break it to you. It ain't the Ku Klux Klan. It's not white supremacists. It isn't David Duke, and it isn't Ted Cruz. Black people kill more black people. 
That's a fact. That's a fact. You say, well, well, the police have been shooting some black people. Good, okay, good. Arrest them, put them in jail. I'm all for that. But for every one black person that some dipstick officer kills somewhere, there are hundreds and thousands of other black men being killed by uh, other black men. Now, it would be easier for you to claim that I'm not recognizing the injustices that may, that may still persist. I'm not doing that. I'm just trying to bring an equal, equilibrium to the argument. I am not. What I'm trying to do is to speak truth in a balanced way and to say some things that are not being said that need to be said. Statement number four. Institutional civil segregation is wrong. But forced cultural integration is equally wrong and, quite frankly, is eroding and damaging the natural order of our life and civility. Now, what am I talking about? What I mean is that making a man drink from another water fountain because he's a different color, well, quite frankly, that's hellish. I mean, if a man can go and die in a foreign country in the same foxhole as a white man, he sure, bless your heart, gets to sit where he wants to sit on the bus and drink from the same water fountain that I drink from. If we can spill blood in the same rice paddy, in the same deserts around the world, we can certainly drink from the same fountain and water of life. I'm all for that. Allowing a young black lady to go to any school she wants, or a black couple to sit at the counter and sit where they want in a restaurant, or to ride where they want to ride in the bus. Listen, you, that's right. Civil rights are right. But forcing cultures together at the tip of a bayonet is wrong, and it has created more consequences than we can possibly realize. There is a natural order. I hate to break it to you, but it is God that divided the nations, not man. God divided the nations in Genesis chapter number 11. God divided the nations according to Acts chapter number 17. That's part of the plan of God. Now, our nation was gripped by a sense of national guilt in the 60s, and rightfully so, rightfully so. We went too far, though, when we begin to teach that recognizing differences in culture and comfort were the same as racism. That is just not the case. There's nothing wrong with being more comfortable with your own culture and people groups. That's just natural. That's a biblical reality. God tells us it was set up that way. And I hate to break it to you, but you're still going to have nations in the millennium. There is still a difference between Israel and the Gentiles. It's just, I'm sorry, it's the way that it is. Recognizing the differences and being more comfortable with your own social culture does not mean by definition that you hate other cultural stratospheres. That's just not the case. And as long as there is a civil and judicial liberty, then leave people alone. Let them be. And that leads me really to a fifth point. I've, I've read in several different locations lately, Christianity Today and Relevant Magazine, several of these others, calling for diversity in the church. Can I just tell you something? That, that is such a childish reaction to an adult problem that we are facing. We need more diversity in the church. Our churches are too white. Our churches are not diverse enough. That, that's the biggest pile of horse manure that I've heard, I don't know since when. Please show me chapter and verse where God calls for diversity in the local church. Please, show me that. 
The Bible says go into all the world and preach the gospel, and that's exactly what we should do. Exactly. And when I walk out the doors of my church, if I come across a black man, I'm going to give him the gospel. If I come across an Asian, I'm going to give him the gospel. If I come across a Hispanic, I'm going to give him the gospel. If I come across a Russian or a German or a Chinese man or someone from Thailand or someone from Honduras, I'm going to give him the gospel. It just so happens that I happen to live in a predominantly white neighborhood. Most, not all, but most of the people I come across are white. If they were black, I'd give them the gospel. If they're Asian, I'd give them the gospel. But this, this call for diversity is nothing but rehashing something that the world has hashed up, and then we want to say it in the church because we want the world to think that we're sophisticated. We want the world to think that we're cutting edge, edge and we're relevant. Well, look, diversity hasn't worked in the world. Why, pray tell, are we trying to do it in the church? That's not the issue. It never has been the issue. You say, yes, 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 but what about over in Revelation? Every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, yeah, your own verse proves the point. God still recognized them by their differences of tribe and racial and cultural differences. And those differences are not going to be broken down until we're one in Christ. Diversity, if it happens, reflects the gospel in a community. It is the fruit of the gospel being preached, not the goal. A predominantly white church will be a reflection of a predominantly white community, and such is the case for a black church. Look, look. There may be like, what, two churches in America? Maybe two. Okay, okay. There'll, let's say there's four churches in America that are predominantly white, that if a black couple got saved and started coming to church, they'd be asked or to leave and go somewhere else or they'd be treated differently or that kind of thing. You say, well, what, what about uh, churches where they, they treat uh, mixed couples? If you have a black man and a, and a white woman or a, a, a white uh, a man and a, and a black woman, what about those churches? Okay, I, I'll give it to you that there's some of those issues there. But, but the, to say that the need of the church is diversity is to misunderstand fundamentally what the point of the church is. How come the calls are not sent out to black churches? When is the last time you heard a white writer telling a black church that they need to more, be more diversified? Please, I'd, I'd like to see that. Oh, no, 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 it happens, it happens. Mm, maybe not as much as you like to think. Why don't we say that to a Korean church? Been to a Korean church lately? Or how about a Haitian church? Been to a Haitian church lately? Or how about a Hispanic church? It doesn't make sense to me. How about we leave the local church alone and figure out how best to reach the community where we are with the gospel? Here's an idea. Why don't we stop diversity spouting out the diversity message and spouting out the same crap as the world? And how about we just go out and try to reach people with the gospel? I'm so sick and tired of these great leaders, these gurus, telling us where we're wrong on the local level. All the while traveling from conference to conference and book signing to book signing. I wonder sometimes if Professor Doolittles know how many white men every Sunday in America go into prisons and jails and preach to sinners of all color. I wonder if they know how many white people give up a Saturday and go into the barrios and ghettos inviting children to ride the bus and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, who saves regardless of color. I wonder if these great, great professors with and these great writers, these great church leaders know how many times that glorious song has been sung, Jesus loves the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his side. I wonder if they ever stopped to think for one iota of a minute 
that missions around the world run because white middle-class Americans, although not as much as they should, but to a great degree, pour billions of dollars into the mission funds every year to reach black and Hispanic and Asian people around the world. Shut up, man. We're all sick and tired of your pompousness telling us what we should and shouldn't be doing while you collect royalties on your books, on your magazines, on your DVDs, on your conferences. Shut up. We're sick of it. We're sick of it. You want to know why Donald Trump, that soft, velvety, cushioned fascist that he is, you want to know why people are voting for him? Because we're tired of being told that we're racist. We're tired of being told that our churches are prejudiced. We're tired of being told that we're the problem. We're not the problem. You are the problem. We're not the problem. You're telling the average church in America that they're not diversified enough. Have you ever thought to look at how much diversity was in uh, Jesus' crew that he had traveling with him? You ever think to think about that, professor? Writer? Great guru preacher? Let's see, did, did, did Jesus have a couple brothers with him handling security? And of course, then an Asian man taking care of his website and Facebook and all the technology. And then of course, Matthew was a Jew, so you know, rightfully so, he would be the CPA. Is, is that his diversity program? What a joke. What a joke. What a joke. What a galactic, catastrophic joke that is. Jesus wasn't concerned about diversity. He was concerned about preaching the gospel to whomever and whenever he could. And I think most white Christians feel the same way. Now look, at because a white Christian doesn't feel comfortable worshiping in the same way as a black Christian, that is not racism. That is not racism. And number six, black Americans in the inner city, to be quite frank. And this one's going to be a hard one for you to swallow too. But I have to wonder, I have to wonder if black Americans in the inner city are less free today than they were on the plantation fields 200 years ago. You say, oh, how dare you say that? I know it sounds bad. But before you let your emotions, those of you who consider yourself intellectual, before you let your emotions and feelings rule the day, why don't you think for a minute and ask, who is freer, a man whose physical body is chained or a man whose soul is changed and chained? As I have said before, 200 years ago, the bodies of the black culture were chained, but their souls, well now their souls were free. There was a richness to the black culture. Oh, if you ever read, there is a richness to the black culture, an association between them and their God, a fearing of God, a depth of the home, a power of survival, the old timers singing those great old Negro spirituals that warm the hearts of believers of all colors even today. You could only chain their bodies but their souls belong to God. And on that great redemption morning, God, through the bloodletting of a nation guilty with the sin of slavery, heard the prayers of a thousand chained souls, and they were free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. 
But today, though their bodies are free, the soul of the inner city black culture is chained. Chained in self-hatred. Chained in misplaced blame. Chained in sexual immorality. Chained in broken homes and fatherless children. Chained in drugs, gangsters, a violent culture and hopelessness. They have lost the song of the caged bird and simply repeat the broken rhymes of rap artists that sell out their own people. The problem is not poverty or lack of education. That's a disservice to the poor and uneducated. The problem is a moral and character problem. Down through the years and down through the caverns and valleys of history, many have been poor, but have been good. Many have not been educated, but have been wise. The black man, under the fiery tongue of the whip, the crack of the lash against his skin, the chafing and the rawness of chains against his flesh, the homes under pressure, uneducated and unable to read, yet his soul looked up to God, and he was rich and moral. And now, now the God has been that brought them out has been transferred to a God of money, a God of progressivism, a God of Democrats and God of government taking care of them and all of their needs. And now the soul is lost. You see, the reality is that black Americans, white Americans are both facing a cultural shift in our nation. No, we're not facing it. We're in it. We're seeing it. We're reaping it, the likes of which we will not recover from. Our values have been eroded, and we are awash in a value system that is best described as third world and barbarian at best. The ethics of a Judeo-Christian Western civilization that corrected its own wrongs, that built the edifice in which you and I now live, that gave us the greatest nation on earth, has been jettisoned for the ethics of gangster ghetto, ghetto gangsters and indifferent suburban latte drinkers. Now, I'm not against the black man. I'm for the black man. I'm not for the white man. I'm against untruth and lies and hypocrisy. The reality is, the young black man today has no respect for a man like Dr. Carson because they can't understand a man like Dr. Carson. They don't understand the morals and the ethics and the value system that drives him. That place, that, that, that system has no place in their life. No, they have no respect for men like Dr. Carson, Cornell West, even if you disagree with his politics, others along those lines. No, 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 no. They worship instead at the feet of LeBron James and Cam Newton and Jay-Z. All the while, these same men sell the young black man a ticket. They sell him a song. They sell him a never-fulfilled promise of a better tomorrow. 
And when they have milked all of his money from him, they leave him in the same ghetto and valley of despair that they found him. Only they point to the white man and say, there, there is to blame. He is the one to blame, not us, not you, not your father, not your mother. No, 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 not your preacher. The white man, he is to blame. And while the young black man in the ghetto dies in a pool of his own blood, because he tried to live a life that he heard on a song, Little does he know that the very white man that he has been told to hate is the very same white man that LeBron James, Cam Newton, and Jay-Z are eating with and parting with while he lies dying fatherless, characterless, hopeless. The hope for the black man in America is revival. A revival of true salvation and personal responsibility, a revival of truth. If there's any hope for the inner city black culture, it is in hundreds and thousands of young black preachers going in to those mission fields on our home front and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, of preaching against the lie of hating the white man instead of facing the man in the mirror. This has been frank talk about race. I didn't claim that it was exhaustive. I didn't claim that it fixed everything. But I have claimed that there's not one thing that I've said here today that is not true. What we all need to do, black, white, red, yellow, is pray for God to send us a generation of men who go in and rescue the perishing and care for the dying. For Jesus is mighty to save. He's mighty to save the white man. He's mighty to save the red man. He's mighty to save the yellow man. And he is more than mighty to save the black man. God bless you.